Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the cross of Jesus where you loved us so much that you made him who knew no sin to be our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God so that we could have his righteousness. Father, it's an odd thing for us to love the cross or to be just so focused on the cross, but when we are aware of our need, our neediness, our sinfulness, Father, we need a Savior. And we thank you, God, that Christ Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he is the picture and demonstration of sacrificial love. And so, Father, we're here today saying thank you. It's not us that's great. It's you that's great. It's not us that's worthy. It's you that is worthy. And we worship you. And we ask now, God, that you would teach us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn the Bible to the book of Philemon. This is going to be our last sermon in the book of Philemon, small book tucked away in the New Testament, hardly even one page. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the pew Bible there in front of you. That's the black Bible. It would be page 1098, 1098, 1098, book of Philemon. We've been in Philemon now for about a month. We did not look at Philemon last week because it was Mother's Day. I preached from Proverbs, um, but we're at Philemon, and we're going to finish it up today. You know, I love Sundays. I say this a lot. I hope you're starting to kind of uh, get the, the rub off on you that you love Sundays too. And, and you know, Sundays are to be different than, than other days. I'm not sure what your seven days of the week look like, but Sundays are to be a little bit different. Not necessarily that Sunday is the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. So it's not exactly that, but it is to be a little bit different in the sense that we have set apart one day of the week, the first day of the week, that we would be those that worship the risen Jesus. And Jesus being alive makes the difference of everything. He is risen because he was dead, and he was dead because of our sins. And if those things are real categories in your mind and in your heart and in your beliefs, then, then it matters a lot. And so it becomes a priority. Bigger than a priority, it even becomes a conviction. It becomes something that, that we are truly committed to. And so Sundays are that. We want to be here on Sunday mornings to look to God's word, sing together, be encouraged by one another, and worship God. And that's what Sundays are for. You know, my ideal Sunday is probably to have a good church and then, and then some lunch and then, uh, you know, maybe enjoy some good weather, but find me a nap somewhere in there. That's a good Sunday for me. But every once in a while, Sundays are really busy, and I know you know this too, right? Sometimes Sundays are Super busy, and you're thinking, I don't think Sundays are supposed to be this busy, right? Weekends are not for uh, going crazy. Weekends are for getting ahead, and we all know that tomorrow morning we have Monday morning work, and if we are too tired today, then we will have a bad Monday, and all of those thoughts are in our mind, and Sundays are not supposed to be too busy, but every once in a while they are, like today, because we have a wedding here tonight. But I want you to know that I am totally stoked and excited for tonight. It's an opportunity for our church to have our evening worship service and it be a wedding, a marriage 
ceremony, if you will, for two young people who are ready to make their vows to one another in front of all of us. I want to encourage you because of your faith in Christ and because of your belief in the word of God and because of your investment in young people, because of your being aware of how important young people are and the future that they are, that you might consider attending tonight to be a part of that service. I love Sundays. And I like it when Sundays get busy. Again, it's not my favorite type of Sunday, but I like it when Sundays get busy because it feels like my priorities are in order when I know I've got things other, to do, other things to do today, but yet I'm here this morning in church. I hope you feel like that sometimes. Like, yes, I've got a meeting to go to for work here in a couple hours, or yes, I've got to go meet with these people, and yes, I've got to do some counseling here, and yes, we have a ball game, and yes, I've got to run some errands, and yes, I need to go to the grocery store, and yes, I've got to work tonight, and I've got to be there. And there's all these things you've got to do on Sunday, but first, first things first, we're going to church to worship God to meet with the people of God, to look to his word. And it just feels good to me when it seems like our priorities in order. I hope you will have that conviction and that devotion, and you'll have that in your life. Today really feels like that to me. I know that tonight we got a big deal. Drew and CJ are nervous as can be. I just saw Drew, and I shook his hand. I said, you ready? He said, man, I'm so nervous. He just told me that a minute ago. And Drew, you should be nervous. But it feels awesome to think, as big as tonight is, this morning is still important. For the people that believe that Christ Jesus is Lord and Savior are devoted to him. And we're here today to look to his word. And this morning we're going to look back to the book of Philemon. Philemon is interesting. It is so interesting. It is that unique book in the New Testament that is so small, it doesn't even have chapters. It's just 25 verses. It's, it's not even a whole page. It's a letter from one man, Paul, to another man, Philemon. It's a personal letter written from one man to another man because there was a problem. There was some drama. There was some hostility. There was some friction in their relationships, and the friction in their relationship had caused the friction to be in other relationships. If this isn't fitting to my life and your life today, what else is, right? Philemon is a small book that most people don't know what it's about, but it is very, very very helpful. There's a man who runs away from Philemon, all right, and he ends up in Rome. That's where Paul is, and his name's Onesimus. Onesimus meets Paul in Rome, and through that, he becomes a Christian. I don't know if it's Paul that led him to Christ. I don't know if he came to Christ and met Paul. I don't really know exactly what happened. Paul does say his father became in my imprisonment, but he becomes a Christian, and Paul starts talking to him, gets to know his life, and gets to know his story, and he says, well, you know, I kind of stole and fled and ran away from Philemon. And Paul tells him what integrity and conscience and conviction, what God-honoring move he needs to make. you got to go back. And I know it seems that the thing in 2018 is just sweep it under the rug, just keep running from it, never face it head on, never deal with it, never confess it, never own up to it, and we'll just try to start another life and hopefully it'll be okay. We'll just burn every bridge we've ever had and hope I can keep smiling the rest of my life. And as you may know, that doesn't work. Paul says, Onesimus, you've got to go back to Philemon. But I tell you what, Philemon is a Christian too. He'll receive you back. I'm going to write him a letter. We'll get that letter to him. 
And when God works in somebody's heart and life, when somebody is a believer in God, when God is their father, it means they follow God's ways. It means they have perspective and balance. It means that we aren't bitter and hold grudges against people for nobody, listen, nobody has offended us in the way that we have offended God. Nobody has wronged us in the way that we have wronged God. Nobody's been as bad to us as we have been to God. And so while God is so gracious and forgiving and merciful toward us, certainly people of grace can be gracious people. People of mercy can be merciful people. Forgiven people can be forgiving people. This is the way of Christianity. Is that hurt? Does that hurt? Absolutely. Does that, is that hard? Yes, it is. Does that mean things are awkward and tense at times? Certainly. But does the way of God and the mercy of God reign over those things? For sure. For greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. God in us, God's love in us, God's power in us, God's truth reigning over us can get us through any and every situation. You see this in the book of Philemon. Read it with me. We'll read it all, 25 verses. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now a pri- and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord." For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, 
Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is a sweet letter in the word of God. I hope it will be one that you have now over the last month become familiar with. I hope it will be one that you look back to often. I hope you will remember what was my first sermon from the book of Philemon when I talked about this is a story. It's a small story, but it's a story about uh, Onesimus and his sin and his need for forgiveness and him finding it in God and then needing it from Philemon and Paul believing that he would find it from Philemon. But that's his story. And I talked then about how God shapes our stories. And I told you then that you too have a story. I hope you think this way and I hope you know this. Your life is a story. You may or may not end up with a biography. I don't know. But your life is a story. One that it would be nice to have a movie of. And I talked about Philemon and that our stories are molded by four things. You may remember. Number one, all of our stories are shaped and written by people. Man, there's so many people that come in and out of our lives. Were it not for those who raised us, those teachers, those coaches, those first employers, those friends, those best friends, those family members, we've been shaped by that. We are the product of those who have been in our lives. Our stories are also shaped by places, places we've lived, schools we've been to, jobs we've worked, neighborhoods we've lived in, homes we've lived in. Those are a part of our story. People, places, and pain. All of our stories have had turns through the death of a loved one, through a hurt where somebody has wronged us, through something that we have done that has brought pain to our own hearts. These things shape our story. But lastly, that fourth P in my four points of that is that your story has been shaped by people, places, pains, and providence. The providence of God. The good, sovereign hand of God being on your life and even in your life when you saw it and when you didn't see it, when you recognized it, when you didn't recognize it, knowing that God was there and he was working. Philemon is like that and we see it in this book. The next week I took you to this idea of refreshing. I talked about a fresh church and a refreshed church and a refreshing church. I reminded you that nobody's actually fresh. We're just all refreshed. And when you're refreshed, you're fresh. But you will soon need refreshing. You remember that sermon? You see this here. Paul says that Philemon was refreshing. He often refreshed the people in the church. But at the end of the letter, because of the situation and the burden that he feels for Onesimus and the life change Onesimus has had, he says, would you refresh my heart now by receiving Onesimus back? We talked about whether we were refreshing or not. Then we looked at all the various random people here. You get to the end of Philemon, you have Epaphras and Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. You have all of these people. You have Appia and Archippus there at the beginning. You have all these people. Many of them we don't know. We spent some time looking at them. But I told you throughout all of those that there's this one issue here that we need to look at. And that is slavery. Onesimus was a slave. The Bible speaks to slavery. Slavery is such a big deal in our culture, a bigger deal in our history. It's something that we've all heard of, maybe familiar with, maybe not that used to. But I want you to look back here. Look at verse 16. 
When Paul is writing to Philemon to receive him back, he says, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. This word bondservant here means slave. Some translations use the word slave, some don't because they don't like that word. Most often it is bondservant, so much more than a servant, it is a slave. And that's the word here, he was. And when we read that, we start thinking, what? Slavery? Why didn't Paul just speak up and go, slave, why do you have slaves? Why didn't he deal with it like that? And so, as we often say here, that we are a Bible-believing church. We are committed to the Word of God. We don't want ourselves, and we don't want to allow ourselves to just gloss over the Word of God. We don't come here each week with me coming up with the topic that's on, on my heart to talk to you all. We choose a book in the Bible, and we walk through it. You remember just recently us going through the Gospel of Mark, and it took a long time a really, really long time. It took us years to get through the gospel of Mark. We hit every single verse, and y'all remember that. And so the sermons from week to week are not so much what I'm feeling, right? I think if I was the one coming up with the sermons, they would all be about my kids, and they would all be about sports, right? We've got to talk about more than that. Life is way much more than kids and sports. We preach the word of God. The Bible says for us to preach the whole counsel of God, every bit of it, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the parts that everybody's familiar with and the parts that you've never heard of. And so we've been studying Philemon. And in Philemon you have this slave Onesimus. So today I want to do my best as a pastor to you all, one that the Bible says God has given me to care for your souls. I want to instruct you from the word of God on this, yes, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. And Philemon was a leader in this church. Philemon was this awesome Christian man by all accounts. You can read that there. Paul spoke highly of him, said other people spoke highly of him. Paul assumed that Onesimus lived in his house, was involved with the church there that met in his house, and Paul even knew that that relationship wasn't so flawed and splintered because of the slave relationship, but rather because of the sin that had happened. And so Paul thought, Philemon will take you back. It's fascinating to study this. So I want to give you three points here today, if you can follow along. Biblical slavery, which is not really a biblical thing, but Roman slavery during the time of the Bible, biblical slavery is not a good term. Don't, 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 don't hang on that one. Hang on. Roman slavery in Rome during the time of the Bible was not the same as American slavery that happened here early in our country. It's not the same. I want to give you an example of this. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. You have this in many letters, but here's one. In Ephesians chapter 6, listen to this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, 
Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or whether he is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This thing of slavery during this time, albeit not not good, is not the same as slavery in our history. Now, obviously, that's a loaded topic and not one that I'm an expert on and not one that I'm going to give all of our time to here today, but I have done a ton of reading on this trying to figure it out. Let me show you. Roman slavery was like this. The one just, I'm reading now from a conversation from some historians. The one justification for slavery, and it was pretty common in Rome, was that if you lost a battle and were captured, then you might either be killed or kept as a slave. And there is a mutually beneficial exchange here, if you will, in the sense that you've already lost. So me saying, I tell you what, I won't kill you if you will agree to act as my slave for the rest of your life. And I may free you, but I may not, and that's up to me. And you say... Okay, killed or be a slave. I'm going to go with the slave thing. But it meant that some slaves were very excellent. And in Roman society, some slaves occupied very high positions, positions of respect. It's just that they made this promise. It was an economic institution, and that was the way that slavery had existed in Africa as well. If you lost a battle, then you would be captured by the other side. It was almost like indentured servitude. You could work it off. That's different from the slavery that was here in America. The slavery they had in America was based off somebody being different from us, looking different from us Americans. And so, in our arrogance and in our pride or in our ignorance, however we want to address that, we thought that we were better than them, and so we were helping them by putting, this, putting them in this ugly terrible sinful situation in our pride we thought that we were helping them so people would say things like slaves are people who are either morally inferior or lack the judgment to make independent choices they're like children or they're like horses that means that you actually have a positive good justification for enslaving them If I have a thoroughbred horse or a fancy dog, it would be cruel of me to set it loose to let it run around because it's not capable of taking care of itself. I have obligations to take care of it. My ownership actually gives me obligations. And what's interesting, it goes on and on, it goes on to say that this reasoning caused people to think, even people who said they were Christians, caused them to think that slavery was good for the slave but they were a slave based off of their skin color or based off where they were from or based off something like that. Folks, hear me today, based on the word of God, that that type of slavery, American slavery, is awful. 
horrible, flawed, bad, judgmental, arrogant, and prideful. And according to the word of God, we are totally against it. When we see the word slave in the book of Philemon or anywhere else in the New Testament, our antennas poke up and we think, what? Slavery. And the first thing I want you to hear today is, I'm not an expert on Roman slavery, but it was clearly different from the American slavery. Just this week, I saw somebody post a picture from the last century, not that long ago, of an awesome black family trying to get into a department store in a city. They weren't allowed to, simply because of their skin color. Now, part of me wants to not even bring it up because I hope that our young people will never even have to experience anything like that. But the reality of stores you're allowed in or not allowed in, water fountains you're allowed to use or not allowed to use, is at its core wicked and judgmental and prideful and wrong. And we need to be able to say, we didn't like it. We don't like it. We are bothered by it. So when you see slavery in the Bible, the first thing I want you to hear is that it's not the same as American slavery. Second thing, the Bible condemns racism, completely condemns racism. I want to read you a few things. If you've not been reminded of this, then please be reminded of it here today. The Bible tells us how the world came about. I know in this day and age, it's pretty common for people to mock what Christians believe and that the Bible uh, tells us how we came about and how things be, but it still is the truth and it still is the word of God. And we were created. God created us. And when God created us, he made us the way he made us. And let me read this to you. In Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter in your Bible, the first page in your Bible, on the sixth day after God had created everything else that he would create, the thing he had not created yet were people. It says this in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It is good, faithful Bible doctrine straight from the mouth of God that any human being is made by God in God's image after God's likeness. To be a human being in many ways is to be like God. To be a human being in so many ways is to reflect God. To see any human being in any place doing anything is to give us a glimpse of what God is like. Every human being is made by God in his image after his likeness. To despise a human being just for being a human being is against God. It is sinful. It is wrong. And in God making them, God made them, or us, different. 
God is the one who made skin colors, and God is the one who made hair colors, and God is the one who made eye colors, and God is the one who made languages. You see this time and time again in the scriptures. If you don't believe me, then just keep listening. You get to the end of the book of the uh, end of the Bible. And you get to Revelation chapter 5, where John is giving a picture of heaven. And heaven is something that we all think of. Heaven is a place I hope that you want to go. I will tell you that heaven is free for anybody, but the way you get to heaven is through Christ. Without a faith, a sincere faith in Christ, you will not go to heaven. The only way anybody could get to heaven is through the forgiveness of sins. And the only way to have your sins forgiven is to know Christ, is to believe in the one who died for us. That's why we sang, oh, the cross. But in heaven, John gets a picture. God tells us some of what heaven's like. Now, I will tell you that we have more questions about heaven than we do have answers. We don't have a lot of answers on heaven, but we have some. And in Revelation chapter 5, he sees heaven. And there's a throne in heaven. And there is Jesus there being worshipped in heaven. And he's seen as the lion and the lamb in heaven. He is the strong one, the conquering one. He is the one that nobody can stop, the lion. But he also is the lamb. He is the one that is humbled. He is the one that has died. He is the one that has laid down his life. He is the one that has sacrificed himself for the washing away of the sins. Jesus, as the one worshipped in heaven, is the lion and the lamb. And as John sees that, he sees a number of people that is too many to count. But what he notices about those people is this. They're singing this song, Worthy are you, Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. In other words, you died to pay their price. You died and offered your blood to get them and bring them back. Okay, who are those people? Listen to this. Who are the people that Jesus is worthy of? Who are the people that Jesus' blood ransomed? Who are the people that God went and got, bought, received, brought back, redeemed? Who are those people? And it says in Revelation 5:9 that it is people from every tribe. Every language, every people, every nation. Diversity on top of diversity on top of diversity on top of diversity. As diverse as you can possibly think, it will be like that in heaven. God made them. He made them in his image. He made them in his likeness. God loves them. He sent his son to die for them. He sent his son to be their evil flaws, their sinful issues, their rebellion, their disobedience to God. Jesus saw it, embraced it, wanted it, died for it so he could get those people, love them well, bring them into the kingdom of God, and that they would be in heaven forever. This is the way Bible-believing Christians are to view people, all people, different people, different colored people, different language people, people from wherever. This is the way. Last night, I was ready to go to bed, and we forgot that we still needed a few things, and I ran up to Walmart, and there was a family, an awesome, awesome family. Mom, dad, three kids in front of me in line, and their language was so far off from my language that I couldn't make out a thing. It had to be some kind of far Asian language. I couldn't make out a thing. And the kids would run off, and they'd come back with like a pack of M&Ms, and, and then something would be said, and the kids would run back. And then, then the kids came back, and they had one of those little bubble poppy things you put on the back of a phone now. Y'all seen those things? They had one of those, and the kid kept saying, it's only $4.99, it's only $4.99, it's only $4.99. And he was talking in English. 
And the mom kept saying something with a, with a shake in her head, no. And they were arguing about it. But they were right there in front of me. And in my mind, I wasn't thinking, what's their problem? Why are they here? Where'd y'all come from? Why don't you go back? You're holding me up. Why don't you speak in a language that this cashier understands? I wasn't thinking any of that. Now, of course, this is heavy on my heart because I'm in 12 hours about to preach this. But I was thinking that, that I can't even understand is of God. Their skin color is of God. Their language is of God. Yes, you don't understand it. Yes, you may have no connection with it. Except that they are made in the image of God. They are no, none, not any worse than me. None. This is what the Bible teaches us. In heaven, it will be so diverse. If you don't like diversity here, how are you going to like it there? If you don't like diversity here, are you even going there? Because God says diversity is a reflection of him. Listen to this quote from David Platt, a little bit lengthy, but listen. When we look in the Bible from the beginning, we only have one race of people. When you ask the question, what race were Adam and Eve? What's the answer going to be? It's going to be the human race. Some people wonder, what color was their skin? What color were Adam and Eve's skin? He says, as if it mattered at all, it doesn't matter. Which is why the Bible doesn't tell us what color Adam and Eve's skin was. Now, in most picture Bibles here in the West, we have painted Adam and Eve's skin to be white. but We have no basis for that assumption. For all we know, they could have been any color. For all we know, they could have been different colors. If anything... Genetics points us to the greater probability that they had darker skin, which is the dominant gene in skin color. The point is that God's word never equates membership in the human race with skin tone. Whatever color Adam and Eve were and their children were, they contained in them a DNA designed by God that would eventually develop into a multicolored family across a multicultural world. And in this way, God's word teaches that regardless of the color of our skin color, we all have the same roots and we are all a part of the same race, which is why the term race is unhelpful because it actually undercuts this created unity before God. And it's why in any sense, racial hierarchy or inequality, including that which has marked our country's history based on skin color, any concept of racism goes directly against the design of God. It is sinful to the core. God made us humans. And we are diverse. But that's not a problem. That's a good thing. What is a problem is how telling it is that it does bother us. That is. And that's when we come back and I say, well, the Bible says that we have sinful, flawed hearts. And we struggle to embrace this. 
But at the end of the day, a Christian is only somebody who believes the truth of the Word of God. And so we look to the truth of the Word of God. Coming to the Word of God and saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, that doesn't work. doesn't hold any water. The Bible says what the Bible says. Listen to this passage from the New Testament, from the Apostle Paul, the same one that wrote Philemon, in Galatians chapter 3. He says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You know what that means? Christians, people in Christ, are those that believe They are those that believe God over and above their experience, over and above their upbringing, over and above their ancestors, over and above their nationality, over and above what those people used to do or what I was always taught or what my dad or my granddad or my great-granddad or my great-granddad or whoever said or taught or raised me or acted or did this. Well above all of those things, we are believers in the Word of God, and the Word of God is the foundation. And what the Bible is teaching us, that for those who have come to faith in Christ, we have bowed our knee, confessed with our mouth that God is God, and he is our Father. And his great love for us has brought us into his family because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we now, we now have the perspective on life that God has. Albeit flawed because we're still here, We're not in heaven yet. All of the pain and all of the harshness and all of the sinfulness has not gone away. But you and I have the perspective on it now. We are to see things the way God sees things. We are to look at life the way God looks at life. As I said at the beginning, we are to reflect what God is like. We are to be gracious because we've received grace. We are to be merciful because we've received mercy. We are to be forgiving because we've been forgiven. And where somebody is different from us, we are to love them, not think worse of them. For while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his own love for us and sent Jesus to die for us. When the awesome maker, our holy God, saw us people who are to be like him not being like him. When he sees us cursing him and shaking our fist at him and screaming out, God, why are you doing this to me? God could think, you're so messed up. You're not doing it the way I told you to. I know you're supposed to be like me, but you're not like me. I know they're supposed to be humans, but they don't act like humans. And in that 
situation, instead of God running away from us or pushing us away or shaking his head at us, God embraced us, came to us, became, listen to me, like us. Jesus left heaven and became human that he could know us, be tempted like us in every way, identify with us through and through, and yet then lay down his life for us. There are a lot of people out there that don't know what the Bible says. There are a lot of people out there trying to tell you what the Bible says, but they don't know what the Bible says. A good, healthy reading of the Bible will show you God's love is beautiful. He loves people. He loves wayward people. And he loves a variety of people. And his kingdom in heaven forever will be that way. May it be that Christians like us condemn racism. And because we condemn racism, we condemn any form of slavery based off of racism. Lastly, the Bible uses the same word slave to describe us in our sins. You can't stop sinning. You can stop sinning in some way. I would imagine with this many people here, some of y'all are more racist now than you were because of this message. Some of y'all are less believing of the Bible now because we've read what God says. Some of y'all were angry when you got here and you're more angry now. The Bible says that sin enslaves us. We may try to stop this sin, but we can't stop this sin. And we may try to stop this sin, but we can't stop this sin. The Bible says that Christ died to set us free. See, the world thinks about it backwards or wrongly, and they think that Christianity puts so much rules on you that then you're a slave. Yet the Bible teaches, no, sin has you a slave. You can't get away from it. But it's only until your conscience is cleansed and your sins are forgiven that they've been washed away by the blood of Christ that you are now totally free. There's nothing that you have to do as a Christian. There's a love and joy and delight to do what is right. Christ has set us free. And with a heavy sermon, you know, I've told our church this many, many times. If we did all topical sermons, they'd all be good and, and happy. Again, they'd all be about sports and my kids, and we'd end up laughing the whole time. But when you study the Bible to go through it because that's the message of God, there are some that are really good and some that are really likable and some that are heavy. Slavery is heavy. But may we not be those people that daily interact with diversity but haven't looked to how God would have us understand it. If there are any diverse people in your life, may you be a blessing to them, not make it harder. Jesus is the answer to slavery. 
He is the answer to freedom. And I want to ask you here today, does your heart feel free? Do you feel like your conscience is clean? Do you feel like your sins are forgiven? Do you feel like God has set you free? In the same book where he says that, that was Galatians chapter 3, he says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If you feel like you're in that life cycle of up and down, good and bad, I I have a good day, but then I have a bad day, and I just can't seem to shake it. I just can't seem to get rid of it. And even when I've behaved rightly, my conscience still won't let me sleep. And even when I've had a good day, my mind is swirling and I keep remembering of how I did this to that person or that. If that's you, you're still enslaved to your sins. The Bible says that anyone who comes to Christ, he will by no means cast out. He will forgive all of your sins. But forgiveness and therefore freedom is found when we submit ourselves to him, when we say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. God, I need forgiveness. God, I've never thought about slavery on this level. God, I've never thought about racism on this level. God, I may have watched the news a million times over on slavery and diversity and racism, but I've never even spent that much time reading what you say about it. God, forgive me of that. Help me to be a Christian that looks to you and follows you. We're going to sing a final song here, Amazing Grace. A song that I would say every one of you all know. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing Grace, y'all, was written over 200 years ago. It was written in 1779 by John Newton. John Newton was involved. Listen to me. John Newton was involved in slave trade. He was involved with slavery. When God saved him, he left the work. He disassociated himself from it. and He began working in the anti-slavery God had opened his, his eyes to viewing people different from you in a lesser way. May you hear today that Christ Jesus, under his own words and under their own words, is the suffering servant. Jesus lowered himself below all of us to lay down his life to wash our feet and be a servant to every one of us. May we never be so ugly. May we never be so proud to think we're better than anybody. Anybody. May we be like God and see people the way he does. Let's pray. Father, Thank you that your word addresses the hard things in our life. 
Thank you, God, that your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Father, Philemon has brought up to us this issue of slavery, and so we've looked at it. Father, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to your word and biblical Christians, that we wouldn't say we're Christian, but we operate off our own thoughts or beliefs, but rather that we're informed by you. And Father, I pray that today you would give us a beautiful picture of Christ and the way he made people, the diversity, the differences, and yet all of it reflecting you, your image, your likeness. And may we embrace it. And Father, I pray that we would be honest enough that we would humble ourselves and seek forgiveness where we have been wrong. Father, help us now. And as we sing this last song, lead us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.